Boom, boom. Incoming. Welcome to the Iowa Innovation Podcast, powered by Nuboco. This is the show where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony Betters. Hello there. I'm Jessica Abdoni. And today we're going to talk to our guest, Anthony Arrington. He is a managing partner of Top Rank. Today we're going to talk about how Anthony Arrington is innovating the DEI training in the workplace, the importance of building your own welcoming community, and also how Anthony keeps it unapologetically real. So with that, let's innovate Iowa. Tell us about yourself and yeah. what you do on a day-to-day basis. Talking italics. Talking italics for us. I sleep all day. No. Native of Cedar Rapids, born and raised here. Went to uh, Johnson, Johnson Jaguars in Squaw Creek, then McKinley, then Washington High School. Mm-hmm. Went on to the University of Iowa. Um, lived away. Uh, after I graduated from Iowa, I got a degree in communication studies. Thought I wanted to be a, a sports Thought I wanted to be a sportscaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a couple internships. What? Wow. Yeah, yeah, I was going to. Me I too. Would, yeah. Did we talk about this once? Maybe we might have. I don't remember. But I was going to, uh, I did a couple internships at KCRG. I worked for John Campbell for a summer. And then I worked oh, for no Bruce Downey for a summer. And then I was going to, when I graduated, I was going to go to work. But yeah. then uh, the telecommunications industry blew up in Cedar Rapids. Mm. MCI was here and they were, all I cared about was, to be very honest, because I drink beer and pay my rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This company was paying more money. I didn't have an investor mindset, so I took that job. <laughs> yeah. And there went my sportscaster career. Wow. Oh, wow. You worked with the OGs like, yeah. of KZRG. That's awesome. <laughs> the OGs of KZRG. Yeah. Did you work there, too? Did no, no, no. Yeah. no. So uh, when I went to Baylor, so my, I wanted to be on ESPN. Like, that was my goal. Yeah. Right? And so I went the communication specialist route. Yeah. And then I did a job shadow um, with this lady in, in Waco, Texas. And then she was like, yeah, uh, I'm still like borrowing money from my mom. And yeah, you don't make a lot of money doing this job. Yeah. And I was like, okay, uh, let me see what other majors uh-huh. uh, I can get into. <laughs> because I don't know about this. But looking back into it, like yeah. I should have been, I should have went for it. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, not everybody starts off their first job yeah. and just yeah. making big yeah. buku money. But that's what I was, yeah. I was looking at is like, how can I make, good money for myself but also for my future family yeah and then see at least you're thinking better than me i wasn't even thinking about a family yeah i was thinking about rent (laughs) and beer beer. yeah (laughs) libations that was not the right thing i'm a good person people i promise yes no you definitely are and even with even with the company uh top rank like could you kind of go in of because it is very innovative Right. Um, I, I would say to a certain extent yeah. with it being here, especially here in Iowa, because right. yeah. you talk about about the innovative ideas that yeah. Yeah. came about. Well, yeah. And I'll, and I'll give my my partner, Nick Ford, credit for dragging me out of corporate America to do the work. Oh, yeah. Um, but hopefully uh, he's doing well, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Doing well. Yep, yeah, Doing well. Had a, had a little back surgery. Um, but we started the company in 2018. And again, as at the time, this was I like to say this is important. It was pre George Floyd. We mm-hmm. weren't like into we need to do something. Um, but we when we started the company, um, Nick had come to me. I was in a position at an organization. I just wasn't happy. I, I knew from an econ- uh, from a job standpoint, I was I was working at a temporary agency and I was running some branches and I was helping people get placed. You know, um, and I was doing a lot of community work um, and and taking HR directors up to 
um, Anamosa State Prison and visiting um, and showing HR managers what people uh, behind bars are doing and so that they can be employed when they get out. Uh, but along that path, man, I started realizing, um, you know, I wasn't, I felt like I was contributing to a challenge. Uh, for lack of a better term. I was going into a lot of these companies. I worked with a lot of manufacturing companies and I would walk into these and I was part of sales, so I had to do the selling as well. And I'd walk into these organizations and I would never see people that look like me in positions of management. Mm -hmm. I might see us on the floor making, you know, 10 bucks an hour, standing next to somebody making $27 an hour. Mm -hmm. I, I understand the dynamics of temporary employment and there's a place for it, but it just started to affect me personally. Uh, because everywhere I went, this is all I see, or I would see women, and most of the women, particularly in manufacturing, would be in the human resources department mm -hmm. or an administrative. I wouldn't see women on the floor, right? Uh, so, you know, I, as I started thinking about a lot of the community work and a lot of the self-reflection I was doing to myself, I, I began to start questioning my, my, my value, my work. Is this making, you know, should I really be doing this? And I, I wasn't, All I was doing was really running numbers, right? Mm -hmm. How many people can you get employed every week? And how many... How many people? And I, I get it, right? Mm -hmm. I get that organizations have to figure out how to spend a dollar and make two. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But can you spend a dollar and make a dollar seventy-five and mm -hmm. put twenty-five cents back in your company? Whatever it is, right? And I was just felt like I was just working to work, yeah. and I was placing people, and I was also beginning to understand myself personally. I was beginning to understand how, beginning to sh pay more attention to how societal issues impact employment how it impacts work and ultimately impacts people. Mm -hmm. And I just felt I was contributing um, to that uh, in my role, at least where I was. And I just wasn't happy. And so Nick came to me at, a, at an opportune time, to be honest. And uh, he was retired, 21-year Navy veteran. Um, didn't know what he was going to do with his next uh, career move. Um, his kids were graduated, uh, younger kids, and he wasn't sure. And, and Nick, everywhere Nick went in the military, his wife was a special ed teacher, and she taught uh, in urban communities or, or what have you. So she taught underserved populations quite often. And, and Nick grew up in Cedar Rapids. Nick and I are this literally about the same age. We're a year apart. We didn't mm -hmm. hang around a lot growing up, but we knew each other. I yeah. actually ran with his sister more than him. So you're, we went to the same school. You're 30, schools. right? Huh? You're 30? Tell him again. Yeah, 30 years old. Say it out loud Anthony so Harrison, people back in here. 30 years old 30. out here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 54, actually. Hey, 54, looking so. good, brother. Yeah, yeah, man. Appreciate that. So... um you know, and then Nick was also, his kids are swimmers. His whole family's full of baseball players, but his kids are swimmers. Um, and he was a diversity liaison for USA Swimming. You know, so they, they kind of had this, uh, and again, middle-aged white dude, right? And middle-aged white woman. And, uh, you know, he had this uh, idea of really focusing on diversity. He wanted to to uh, improve his understanding of diversity. And he also, Nick, coming out of the military, you know, he had some PTSD and some issues of his own, mm -hmm. right, that affected him as a military uh, veteran coming into the, to the employment world as well. Mm -hmm. And so he came to me with this idea, you know, hey, Anthony, you know, I know you're doing recruiting. I, you know, see you in the community, you know, have you ever thought about, um, you know, starting a recruiting firm that's just unapologetic and focused just on, on diversity, you know, like hiring people of color and hiring veterans and, and females and, I was like, no, I never really th thought about it. I said, I kind of do that. And I said, no, I really hadn't really thought about that. I said, let's talk about it. So he's telling me his, his thoughts and ideas. And I'm like, you know, I said, oh, my wife's a realtor. She's been a realtor for 25 years in the wow. city. And so when she decided to do that 25 years ago, I said, I'll always keep a job with benefits. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the problem with America. Let me just say it again. We should not have medical care tied to employment. Uh, Let's absolutely. just call it like it is. Say for people in the back. 
Yes, they can hear me. <laughs> so I, you know, I was like, I'll always keep the benefits in the house for you know the family. But um, you know, Nick caught me at a time when I was really contemplating where my next career move was going to be, and I knew I was unhappy, and I was either going to quit my job probably or get fired because it was just about running numbers. Mm. And um, I'll never forget. Uh, so Nick called me. We talked about. It. I said, eh, I'll give it some thought, but I'm like, like keep my paycheck every two weeks, right? Right. And, and uh, and uh, and, ben- and medical benefits, right? I'm a bilateral below knee amputee. I have been for over 30 years, and so, you know, healthcare matters to me personally. But mm-hmm. I also have a family now. So, I said, I think about it. Well, literally within a couple of days later, uh, another uh, colleague of mine called and asked the same question. Hey, man, there's a guy I know. He's about to. Re- uh, he had uh, left his organization. wasn't sure what his next move was going to be. And call me with pretty much the same question. Hey, I, you know, I know we've been doing stuff in the community. We need to start a business. You ever thought about starting a, a recruiting firm? Or, mm-hmm. And I was like, did you talk to Nick? <laughs> he just called me like two days ago wow. and asked this question. So I'm thinking, you guys, something upstairs is saying, you know, some, some, some spirit, whatever, is just saying I need to look at this. So literally, I said, man, uh, Nick just called me about this. We should go talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then there was my, uh, I had a relative of mine who wanted to join the business. So we went to Buffalo Wild Wings in 2018, sat down, talked about it over a beer, and decided, okay, we're going to do it. Oh, so wow. at the time, I was still working with an organization, so I wanted to be conscious of non-compete clauses and things like mm-hmm. that because I was in the recruiting world. And I wanted to make sure I could do it safely and was able to take care of that. And so I jumped on board in 2018, and off we go. Hey, yeah. making, making business deals and so, B-dubs over a beer and then oh, to create this empire – we, we're trying, man. Awesome. We're, we're trying. Uh, not an empire. Uh, I ain't going to call it that. <laughs> hey, I, huh? I, I see a bigger, just because I'm from the, outs- I'm the outside yeah. looking in, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's something that's definitely needed for this community. But you all aren't even just serving just Iowa, yeah. right? No, we're not. We're, we're serving nationwide, but we're, you know, we're starting in our backyard. And, and we're not just doing you know, recruiting. When we started this business, um, you know, our focus was on how do we, how do we acquire talent, you know? Um, and put food on our table as well, mm-hmm. and, and how do we acquire talent? Um, and so, but as we begin to think about that, and, and I was doing things in the communities, you know, speaking and doing other community engagement work that was getting me more involved from a social standpoint as well, and thinking more about the culture. And, and we started thinking about things a different way. We were thinking about this backwards, really, like most people do. And the light bulb went off for, for us a few years ago, probably two years ago, maybe a little longer, but um, we started realizing that we were trying to hire people. We wanted to make sure we were the best recruiters and let's hire people. But we were putting them into cultures who weren't ready for them. Mm-hmm. Right? So let's say we're working at a manufacturer, working for a manufacturing company and we're trying to hire a bunch of females in leadership position. Well, you know, is that organization set up for that type of culture? Um, do they want females? Why haven't they found them before? What what does it mean to have a female leader around a bunch of men? Mm-hmm. Right? Are they set up for that? What mm-hmm. is it like to to work um, in a rural community and have a person of color mm-hmm. as a leader? You know, telling yeah. you what to do. All these things matter, right? And so we begin thinking about what are we what are we doing? Because if we're turning people over, if people are getting hired because of uh, diversity goals and objectives, but the companies not culturally sound or they don't they're just running numbers right like mm-hmm. i said earlier then it's not doing anybody any good you're going to have unha- you're going to have high turnover unhappy mm-hmm. people and w- when you have unhappy people they leave they talk about you your your company and mm-hmm. they talk about the recruiters who put them there right? yeah so it's a 
you have to think about it holistically. And we began to being asked to do speaking engagements, and I really began to think more about how we how we help companies influence culture. And we started thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and it really hit us in, uh, a couple of years ago when we were, started following a facilitator out on the East Coast, mm-hmm. and we were learning about root cause, root issues, and, and how to talk to companies before you start hiring people, how do you talk to companies about how they, the people that work there feel first? Is there a sense of belonging there first? And the light bulb really started going off on me. I said, this is where we need to focus. Mm-hmm. I always thought as a consultant I needed to, to work with companies and have the, the best recruiting, the best training, the best PowerPoint presentation, right? Yeah. The best workshop. You know, I come in with the best tools and I, you know, I have the coolest stuff. And, and it's really about getting the voice of the people and facilitating to find out what companies, what individuals and organizations, how their people feel and -hmm. think because they develop the culture. And so we started doing culture facilitation and that really was a light bulb that went off in terms of how we approach diversity, equity, inclusion. Wow. So um, you kind of said at the beginning of when we, you're talking about prior to George Floyd um, and then after. And so obviously Mm -hmm. a big shift. Do you feel with your job and what like, going to these bigger companies and then like hiring people. Um, did you, how do you, how did basically what I'm asking you is what's the big shift that happened? Uh, clearly there was one, but from, from your perspective, what was that shift after George Floyd and all the, the protests that had happened? Sure, sure. I'm glad you asked. Um, what we saw, you know, and what everybody saw mm-hmm. post George Floyd, you know, I, I like to say there was, there was this, um, culture brewing in our country historically anyway that's another long story we could do another podcast Mm -hmm. having said that though we were seeing business and we were working with organizations around diversity and inclusion before that post george floyd uh, every company and their mama was coming out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. saying we need to do something we need to be better about our relationships with people of color and racial justice it was obviously right it was right it was a big thing, sincere? right? The fire, right? And that's yeah. where we found out. And I said this five years, I said this in 2020, and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that said it, but it's happening. I said, I want to know what it's going to be like when the marriage is over. Yeah. When we're done being excited and about what's happening and what's happening behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Right? And sure enough, to answer your question, what we have seen is we can call it a cliff dive in terms of the focus yeah. on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and racial justice in particular. Those aren't really the same thing. We could do another podcast on that. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that we were seeing heightened, you know, if you if you drew a broad graph of the number of DEI leaders mm-hmm. that were hired at companies, it probably looked like this mm-hmm. in 2020. And now it just dives like a cliff. Mm-hmm. And that's because soon as budgets get cut, soon as people don't care about it anymore, we have to worry about dollars and cents and we start yeah. cutting budgets. You're a marketer. You know, a lot of times in companies, marketing budgets get cut first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, they're cutting DEI mm-hmm. out of their budgets. Uh, they're they're laying off DEI leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly, if you think about this, and I would ask you all to think about just in your social circles or what have you, um, post George Floyd, words like racial justice, language like uh, racism, language like uh, 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 white power, white nationalism, those words were embraced because they were exposing the historical context of what was happening in this country. Right. Fast forward to today and think about those words when you hear them today. Think about what you see in the media and on the news when you hear those words today. When you hear DEI, people think of it sometimes as a boogeyman. Mm. You mm. hear CRT, 
which has never, ever been taught in K-12 through schools. Mm -hmm. It's become a boogeyman. When you hear people say, talk about the words of racism, mm -hmm. right? These words now are beginning, again, to have this negative connotation. So mm -hmm. the question is, why, why is that? Mm -hmm. Hey, and uh, before, before you keep going, so I just want to just clarify yeah. for CRT, talking about critical yes, race theory. Yes, I'm sorry, critical race theory. Okay, mm -hmm. just wanted to clarify. And yeah. That's like obviously become under fire. So of course, like in 2020, we had a lot of people come out and say, we have to do everything we can to combat this racism that's like that has been in our country. And now, like obviously, you know, the attention goes away like the, right. the the popularity of it and i know that sounds kind of like crude to say like the popularity or like it's it's yeah. in style of you know going to protests and signing petitions and putting it all over your social media like the blackout box on instagram that was everywhere everyone did it but then of course once that kind of you said like the popularity the the uh almost like the excitement of it to, to be in part of this something kind of goes away there's no incentive to do it anymore because like the media and everything has kind of dropped out. So did, how do you bring like, like with even critical race theory that has now become such a hot topic as well. That's like, people just don't understand what right. it means in schools and people think it is like a terrible thing right. to be scared of. So how do you change that? Mindset? I'm glad you asked that question. And I think this is, <laughs> this is, this is the light bulb that went off at least for us. And I believe, and this is hard work. But the light bulb that went off for us is I need to stop telling you what to do mm. and start asking you how you feel first. Mm. Right? Mm. What do I mean by that? There are people that uh, struggle with DEI or struggle with CRT, just even the words, right? Mm -hmm. I'm working with a client right now, and when we started having conversations about DEI, there were people in the room that said, why do we have to talk about that? Mm. <coughs> Normally the defensive person in me or, or anyone, right? We're, we're in this polarized environment. Um, and I, I struggle with this every day, but mm. how do I have a conversation with you when I know this is just silliness that you're talking like you, mm. you don't understand the racism. You, oh, you wow. can't see that. Right. How do you not see that? Your it's composure. so obvious, right? <laughs> yeah. So as facilitators, you have to understand your emotional intelligence and be able to have a conversation when it's tough. So tell me why you feel that way. Mm. Help me understand where that comes from. Mm. So I think the creative way to do this, uh, to get, I, I like to call it a, a couple things. One, use the like the five whys, the root cause analysis. If I can keep telling myself and, and keep conditioning as a facilitator, how do I understand where you're coming from through root cause analysis? Mm. It's easy for me to know that you don't like people of color, okay, whatever. It's easy for me to know that you're resistant about diversity, equity, inclusion. It's a boogeyman word, but I want to know why. But we often don't want to ask those questions because A, and I'll use post-George Floyd, we are emotionally charged mm. in those conversations. B, we don't know what we're talking about. Mm. And C, it could cause conflict. And so post-George Floyd in the workplace, what, what you would begin to see and what we begin to hear and learn about was a lot of companies would say, we need to have this community, we need to have this critical conversation, we need to have these talks, right? And, oh, Anthony, you're the black guy in the company. Mm -hmm. Can you do that? We think you're probably the best person for that, right? <coughs> and so... So what happens is, all, all good intent usually, right? They put Anthony in front of a, a group of people to start talking about what happened to, to George Floyd. Anthony's traumatized because as, a, as, a, as an African-American, as a black man, he, he's experiencing this and it's bringing back trauma mm -hmm. in yourself, right? right? But you put this person in front of a group and they have to go talk about that now, right? 
And now you have all this emotion in the room about people who feel one way or another, and, and suddenly there's a lot of tension in the room. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know how to handle that, it could turn south. And that's what was happening in a lot of companies. These conversations were turning emotionally south, and they weren't facilitated in a way that allowed people who disagree in this room to talk about it. And again, those are when the lights bulbs started going off for us as an organization. How do we think differently about how to talk about this mm -hmm. work? Um, how do we become emotionally intelligent and have this level of neutrality, the level of neutrality to be able to truly speak to people who, who are struggling and disagree or who are on this train called diversity, equity, inclusion, and they don't know why, right? right? They were just told we have to train, right? Because we're conditioned to train our way out of everything, right? You, you need a help, we got to train you. you. You need a reduce your computer, we got to train you. In leadership, we got to train you, train, 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 train. And I think training is important. But do you know why you're training? Do, you, do your people want to be trained? Mm -hmm. And if they don't, do you know why? So and I'll give you an example. And this is the creative part of why what we do is different as facilitators. I could come into your company and say, you know what? I saw your survey. You did a, an engagement survey at your organization, and it showed that you um, that 80% of the people say this is a good culture. Mm -hmm. right? But why'd you call us in? Why, why are you concerned about your culture? If, if, your, if your reports show that 80% of the people care, right? Culture in, in, its, in a nutshell is what do the majority of the people think and feel. And based on what they think or feel, this is how we behave with each other. This is how we interact with each other. This is how we think and make decisions, <laughs> right? And so if 80% of the people in your survey say things are great, the 20% say that things are not great, you, took, you listened to them a little bit and you said, well, we must be doing okay. Well, a chain is as strong as its weakest link. So if 20% of your people are, feel this is a toxic culture, don't feel good, and the majority, 100% of that 20, maybe are from an underserved population or maybe you're females, et cetera, are you listening to them? Mm. And do you understand why? Because it doesn't matter how good these other eight people are, the two They're people that aren't good are going to destroy your culture because they make up your culture too. Right. And so that's the difference between... Uh, uh, doing this work, just thinking that you have to train people and really digging be what we call behind the onion and getting to the root. Mm -hmm. You can water the leaves by doing bias training every year. Let's do bias training next year. Let's, let's do the engagement survey next year. And those are all good measuring sticks, but they're not the real work. Mm -hmm. The real work is understanding why your people think the way they do. Mm -hmm. hey. So that's the difference. Yes, and even with you saying that, I'm about to bring up a, a post of yours that you just posted that actually kind of goes right into what you're talking about. You talked about train your people, track the people you trained, and tell everyone in the company how excited it is to know that you trained your staff. And I think that that is important. Um, of course, with not just, of course, training your people, but also letting the staff know of, hey, this, this is how we are going to make our company better, right. right? And it's not just, okay, yes, yeah, we hired top rank and they did X, Y, and Z for us, but it's also just telling, not just the company, but also telling the masses of, hey, this is what we're doing to help out our company. right? Um, and then whenever you go dive in super deep into training, so what is the first, like, the first step that you go into a company and say, hey, how can I help you get better? Or is the company telling you, like, hey, we need you to help us sure. get better? Sure. It's both ways. I mean, some companies were calling and others, but, but everything that we do revolves around facilitation. So oftentimes, uh, let's say a company contacts us and they want to do some diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging training is usually what we hear. We'd mm -hmm. like to do some training or we need a consultant to come and train. 
right away the facilitation begins from day one. So if I'm meeting with a client, I want to I want to talk to you about tell me what your end goal is. When you say you want to train, tell me what your can we talk about your end goal because oftentimes they may not know or it becomes symptomatic. Mm-hmm. It becomes what they think is the problem is really a symptomatic what they think is a challenge is a symptomatic challenge. It's not really the root. And we're always about seeking to understand finding root issues that impact your culture before we determine the training. So we, companies may call us and say they'd like us to conduct a survey, and usually they're thinking it's some sort of metricized quantitative survey. And so I ask them, tell me, tell me about your, your history of working uh, with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging before. Tell me how you met, uh, evaluate your culture. Oftentimes it's usually a, an engagement survey of some sort, and so we'll, we'll ask questions. So is there some diversity? Talk about the diversity and inclusion as part of that survey. Oftentimes we may find out maybe there's a couple questions or maybe they've worked with another consultant or another organization and done a, a, a full blown out survey, a metricized survey, um, but they still feel like they're having challenges. And so I begin to continue to peel. Tell me, kind of tell me where those challenges are. And I'll give you an example. This is a, this is an example of what we hear often. Well, we seem to be having a communication problem here. Um, uh, we can't seem to get on the same page as a company with, with this DEI stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're investing in this training. We're trying, I'm trying, we're trying our best, Anthony. We had a, uh, we hired a DEI consultant. We, 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 we had a, we thought we had a communication problem. So what we did is we reinvested in, we had a storytelling section on our internet newsletter. Um, and every month now we have what we call open communication. Um, we're in, Increasing our emails, we have this new email system and we have this electronic library so you can go and find books about diversity and you could read about them, right? And these are all really, they're, 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 they're good things with good intent. So I, so I may ask, well, tell me, uh, how's that been working? What, what sort of results? How are, the, how are your people receiving that? Well, it's obviously not doing that good. I mean, we're still having these problems. And so the one question I ask, and then this turns the story, is so do you know why? you're having the problems do you happen to be able to pinpoint why no we can't figure it out you know the survey said 80 percent of the people right are doing that so we i mean we we talked to the 20 percent, and they just said it's a racism thing it's just mm-hmm. racism and that's all we hear is if it's just racism where we're trying to fix that what they're doing is they're dealing with symptomatic problems and i'll just use one of those communication so they've invested all this money in communication they've they've Increase the number of emails. They've got a special section in their electronic newsletter now that you can go and grab DEI resources. And they believe they're putting all the tools out there, but they're still having these, these problems. And what we find out when we come in, because what we want to do then is we, we, we take a look at this and we'll look at all of what we call their source data. All of your policies, your procedures, your disciplinary action, your complaints, all those things, that's all policy stuff. And we want to look at that through a diversity lens looking at your language, how you're wording discipline. But then we want to talk to your people, right? And we want to have these facilitated small group conversations. And we want to talk to at least 30% of your staff. If you have under 50 people, we want to talk to your entire company if we can. But our goal is to have small group discussions using our facilitation method. Because what we find out when we go through this process, at the end of the process then, we're going to give you a report that says, we're evaluating the health of your company as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And at the end of this, these sessions, we're going to roll up what we believe are the themes 
that are impacting your culture. And usually, and our, our facilitators, our mentors have done this work. They've done well over 300, almost 300 of these around the country in the last five years. And there's about six root causes. And I don't care if you're a military company. I don't care if you're a church. I don't care if you're a school. I don't care if you're a city, municipality. There's usually about six root causes that impact culture no matter where you go. And one of them is high institutional distrust. Hmm. What do I mean by high institutional distrust? That's just one of the six. They don't trust leadership. They have no trust. So it doesn't matter, going back to that communication, it doesn't matter how many times you send out a newsletter. It doesn't matter how many times you as the CEO stands up and says you're going to talk about financials every month and you're going to be more transparent. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that you've invested in these monthly uh, talks and nobody's showing up and everybody feels the same because you're not dealing with the root. The root issue wasn't communication. That's the, that's the symptom. If you start asking why communication is the problem and you start getting in rooms and, and posing questions as a facilitator that exposes what we call the uh, open the can of worms, when you put people in a place where they're, I don't like to call it safe, brave enough, because I don't know what safety means to you and right. I don't know what it means to you. I know that we all have some sort of bravery at some point. We jumped in a swimming pool and we couldn't swim, right? So my point is we create these spaces through our questions and our ability to build trust in the room. Mm -hmm. And when we can build trust as facilitators in the room, oh my gosh, people will empty their cup and tell you what they really believe and what they really think. And so now we find out it's not a communication issue at this company. It's a trust. It's a trust. They yeah. don't trust. There's a trust issue and you're not dealing with trust. So here's what we need to do. We need to... We need to do some training on how to build trust. We don't need to do training on communication. We don't need to change and invest any more money here. This is where you should invest your money and your time. How does that sound? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So through th immediately when we talk to clients, we are immediately facilitating because we want to understand that client. And we want to understand, are you thinking for yourself? Are you thinking from some of your reports? But more often than not, we find out you... None of them have ever really asked their people how they feel. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to do because there's sensitive feelings. There's people that don't want to be exposed for saying how they feel. Mm -hmm. There's this fear-driven behavior is one of the other six root causes, we call it. And so when you have fear-driven behavior in a company, you can't innovate because you're afraid to speak up because people think differently about you because of the way you talk. It's not what you say. It might be how you say it. Would you call that political, political correctness? You could, absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we always talk about is PC, right? Mm. We, were taught, we were taught as kids since we were kids, right? You don't mix work and personal life. You don't mix politics and work. The last time I checked, you guys, there's 24 hours in a day. Most full-time workers spend at least 8 to 10 of them hours at work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you get enough sleep, you spend six to eight hours sleeping. Maybe you don't. I sleep four or five. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, so there's, there's 15, 16 hours of a 24-hour day. So you really, eight, eight hours of your day is, is spent in the community. Most of your time is spent at work or in bed, mm -hmm. sleep. So you're telling me that I can't bring myself to work? What kind Ooh. of sense does that make in a 24-hour day? That we, But we're conditioned here, particularly in the West. We don't mix business and pleasure. We don't, we don't bring ourselves to work. And so because of that fear-driven behavior, we don't talk about what, how we really feel at work. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we just do it. That impacts productivity. That impacts culture. That impacts attitudes. Mm -hmm. But most companies 
don't want to go there because, and particularly at the leadership level, they may hear things they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. The finger may be pointed at them for good reason instead of it's just leadership. Um, or man, middle management doesn't want to hear from frontline workers how they really feel about you or how you, they're being treated or how the company thinks. And these aren't bad things. We have to stop thinking about them as, as half empty and, and half full, right? And so we try to work with companies to uncover root issues so that we can treat the root of the, the plant and the root of the culture mm-hmm. and the leaves will grow. The leaves are recruiting. Right. The, that's the easy part, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to, to find a, it, easier to find females. It's easier to find people of color if that's your recruiting goal. But that's a numeric number. That's right. a, we can see, we can see that, right? Right. That doesn't change your culture. So do you ever have like your like a David and Goliath kind of experience? Like I always think looking at larger, larger companies that have a lot of people and a lot of tiers that you have to answer to those like those cultures, like there's so many cultures intertwined and it's very rare that you're going to get one big same culture yes. in one big workplace. So do you find that it's harder to work with smaller companies? Say there's like only about 20 to 30 people and you're like, I am looking at the entire organization or company and I have to change everyone's kind of perception or like, you know, build trust from right. the ground up in this organization. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, you know, working with small to mid-sized companies is kind of a sweet spot for, for us because mm-hmm. I believe we, most smaller companies have more control over their decision making mm-hmm. and what they're able to do. Not to say that we don't work with large companies. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's important to understand that we're not, and we tell our clients this, we are not change makers. Mm. That comes from you and you as individuals. I like to call, I have this phrase called brush your teeth moments. You have to be able, everybody has to self-reflect. Mm-hmm. What our job is to do, what we are passionate about is seeking to understand, seeking to understand what are the root issues that impact your culture. Mm. So whether it's a small company of 20 people or a company of 700 people, our approach is still the same. Mm-hmm because we're doing small group discussion. So let's say it was a, I'm working with a small company right now, um, and we're only gonna have about three sessions. Mm-hmm. They've got four or five, uh, f- four or five frontline employees, and they've got uh, a couple of managers. Mm-hmm. We're bidding on this, I should say. A couple of managers, and then they've got an executive director. So we'll speak to this executive director mm-hmm. by, by themselves. We'll have a conversation with those two managers then we'll have a conversation with the 10, 12 or so employees because we want to separate supervisors and non-supervisors because we want people to feel comfortable enough to say how they really think and feel. Mm. It's not a, a narc. You're not here to narc off your boss. And, <laughs> you know, it's whatever you want to call it. We're here to just be honest about how we feel about the culture. Right. And so when we create that space, it doesn't matter if it's 20 or, or, mm-hmm. or a company of 700 because we're still going to break up our sessions the way we need to. Mm-hmm. It's about small group discussion. Mm. Do you do coaching for, um, I'm looking at it from kind of like our, pr- from my perspective where I work with Anthony, who is a man of color. Um, mm-hmm. And majority of our organization is not. And mm-hmm. so I always feel, I feel like sometimes y- we don't want to ma- put all the responsibility on you. Like you are the the only man of color in this organization. Therefore, you must have the correct or right opinion for all of these issues. Mm-hmm. And I always f- like feel like, okay, how as, as, as an organization that is majority white, are res- to, to like m- be as welcoming 
and as it, like to you and make you feel as comfortable as possible without making it feel like all that pressure is right. on you, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I always feel like there's a pressure there. Yeah. So especially if you walk in, if you're a woman and you walk into a male-based like field or job, you feel like there's pressure for me. Let me right. speak on all the womanly issues that are going on. Let me, you know, mm-hmm. talk, you know, that, that kind of issue. That for makes sure. sense. No, I understand. Um, and for those who might not know, of course, with me being the only person of color on New Book co-staff at the moment, who knows how things will change, but top rank actually was within this recruitment process mm-hmm. uh, to get me onto the New Book co-staff. And I, I appreciate that. But most We're so, so grateful. Yeah. Thank I, you. Good. But most importantly, I appreciate Nuboco for um, looking at me because I remember I went in for a whole other position. Mm-hmm. Then they looked at me and was like, hey, like we have this totally different position right. that we think that you would be a good fit in. Right. And I was so reluctant to be able to like that position um, and also to be in this different space because I've never been within like the economic development space. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me coming on to the team, I didn't more so feel uncomfortable at all just because this is this is how I am. Even when I was in Texas, right, right. I always was able to um, move in different spaces mm-hmm. and kind of what we what we say is that's that's coach with coach switching to a certain extent. Right? Yeah. Um, but I'm still going to be myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's different for some people as well. Like, especially for me coming in because I don't want anybody else to feel uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they look, cause a reason I say that I, I see you squint your eyes a little bit. Right. Because I may come in as the, the person, the, the only person of color on the team, and then people may look at me as like, um, or I might say something that might come across a little bit different, oh, right? Okay. And so just because you've never kind of been around that, it might make you feel a little bit different. But people do ask questions, right? Um, and everybody on the team has made me feel very comfortable. And I appreciate you, Jessica, uh, for even yeah. throwing that out there. Um, but just Nuboco as a whole... Um, I feel grateful to be a part of. Um, and shout out to the team, and shout out to Top Rank too for appreciate, help, appreciate. helping a brother get a job. Appreciate, Shoot. appreciate. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a it's a very good question. And, and here's the thing: you 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 ask the question. Most people won't ask that question. Mm. Like oh. most people won't even ask that question. They're afraid to ask it. So my point is, and I and I appreciate that because. I, I won't speak for this Anthony, but I'll speak for yeah. this Anthony. <laughs> Anthony's Anthony, Anthony squared. <laughs> Anthony squared at the table. <laughs> So, um, you know, quite frankly, we're accustomed to this. Mm-hmm. Mm. We're, I, I'm accustomed, and I'm sure you are accustomed to going in places where they, we're the only black face in the room. Mm. The question becomes, what is the difference between tokenism mm. and engagement and really building culture, right? Mm. So in other words, um, and I'm not speaking for you, I'm no, speaking for, for sure. me. I've been in companies where... And I didn't even realize I was being tokenized, but I yeah. was. I can look back and know that I was. That's right? a good word for it. I didn't really think of to yeah. use that word, and I appreciate uh, it. To your listeners, look up tokenism uh, from a social standpoint, and you'll understand. It's, mm-hmm. So assuming that you, you hired the black person, so now all the work's on the black yeah. person, right? Mm-hmm. And this happens a lot, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. It, the assumption is the black person can answer all the problems or the woman can answer all the, the issues that are happening from a female perspective, and that's... Not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, what's important is that you are every you have a culture of curiosity mm-hmm. and a culture of questioning for the good. So at some point, 
you ought to feel comfortable asking Anthony questions. Mm. Um, you may make a mistake. You may say something that offends one of us or offends somebody. That's part of the process mm -hmm. if we're willing to accept that. That's the hard part, yeah. right? And so the easy thing to do is just to, the easy route uh, some companies take is that token route that we've got our person hired that meets this demographic. Mm -hmm. And so now we can leverage that person for A, B, C. And there's nothing wrong with leveraging, right? But how are we doing this to, together? Mm -hmm. and, and am I just being used? And I'll, I'll, a friend of mine, or not a friend of mine, well, yeah, she's a friend of mine. I'm a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll think about it. Maybe yeah, she is. Maybe yeah, she is. Friend, associate, colleague. Like, I wouldn't pick her up from the airport. Yeah, but you know she's a, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I found online, but uh, consultants have said, you know, when I come into the room as a, as a black person, mm -hmm. and this is a black female, I'm coming, I'm not sitting in the back. I'm going to sit up front because I want you to see me when I'm in the mm -hmm. room. Mm -hmm. And I'm keeping the door open to bring some people in with me. Wow. And so my point to you all, and this is to Nuboco or any organization in this position, mm -hmm. That feels like you have, you know, the only African-American or what, or the only person of whatever the underserved group is. Mm -hmm. Right. Leverage that. Know you're going to make mistakes, but understand that that's if, if you're if you're doing the work, you're going to bring people behind that person. Mm -hmm. There's going it, to it's a it, this is a long game and it's a never ending game. Mm -hmm. And so tokenism would be you, you got your guy or gal or person and you, and you stopped. Uh, and, and if they leave, you backfill them. Right. Mm -hmm. And this becomes mm -hmm. Plinko growth is you'll see growth and your culture will determine that you won't have to worry about mm -hmm. hiring because people will hire for you so let me ask you the question that i had kind of asked when you spoke at entrefest uh, my very first entrefest which was a blur because it was a lot to that's take a in. blur for me too <laughs> uh, <laughs> taking you back to 2021 um you we talk about like culture a lot especially in the midwest um obviously not as diverse as other uh states um mm -hmm. or cities so a lot of um, you're you're kind of like com not combating. I don't know if that's the right word, but you're kind of going against like a culture or just an education of influence that has been set already. Um, I remember, I think one of the first things I've always kind of remember was I was uh, in sixth grade when Barack Obama was being uh, sworn in as president for the first time, and I remember going to my teacher and saying, uh, "Oh my gosh, this is so cool!" And I only because I at that time had only understood that. This is a cool moment. This is the first black uh, president of the United States. This is awesome. I didn't know the impact it had, but I was always told and I was excited and I had a small crush on him because mm -hmm. I just thought I just I just thought he was awesome. And so I went to my teacher and I said, isn't this so cool? We were watching it in language arts class. And she said, well, I only have like it is cool, but not for the moment that you think it is. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I'm only excited for him because it's the first, it's a president. It's only a president. I don't see color. And that was a kind of like first time I'd seen it. I don't see color. And I obviously know that that was problematic at the time, but I didn't because I was like, well, what do you mean you don't see color? Like right. you dressed yourself this morning. Yeah. Like you obviously see color. Mm, right. So it kind of stuck with me. And then now going through a school and everything after, I did always kind of hear that I don't see color or I treat everyone the same. But mm -hmm. could you tell me how, how to kind of... Uh, re-educate that mindset because i'm sure that you would deal with a lot of culture yeah. like that with older generations that ha that say that you know like yeah. equal is equal i'm sure yeah. you've heard that a lot huh yeah, yeah yeah you hear that you i mean uh we've all heard that um and we all know that that's not true so again as a facilitator you know when i hear the the personal anthony would be like crazy <laughs> you, like <laughs> yeah. you said you dress yourself yeah. this morning you, of course you see color 
Um, but I have to ask myself, where is that coming from, mm-hmm. right? Is that coming from a space of sincerity or lack of understanding? Because it's about, remember I said, seeking to understanding root issues is where we should always be trying to get to, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I, I know for a fact color doesn't matter, but I would like to know why you think that way. So when I hear that, I think what you're asking me is how do you deal with that? How do you deal with people who feel that way and think that way? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask them, help me understand what you mean by that. And I may use a funny joke like you said, because that, that could be a conversation. I wish I said it at the time, but right. I, I was thinking it. <laughs> this is the thing, right? We, we, and this is as facilitators, we, we, we're always thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to, I'm, I'm conditioning my brain to think ahead because I, you're, you're seeking to understand. So the point is, why do people feel that way? There's probably a sincere reason. That they don't, that they, when they're saying they don't see color, what do they mean? Do they mean, I really don't see color? Right. Or are they saying, I think everybody should be treated equally? Mm-hmm. So they feel the same, we feel the same way, mm-hmm. right? It could be offensive to some people to say, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. My, uh, Anthony, not the facilitator, but Anthony, the person, like I said, that's crazy. Of course you see color. Mm-hmm. Of course you know people that are black get treated differently than people that are white. Of course you know women get treated differently than men. Mm-hmm. Of course you see that. But I think when we say we don't see color, it was this, it was this uh, saying, it was a way to, to minimize, it's minimizing mm-hmm. true racial injustice. Mm-hmm. Because it's assuming we don't see the injustices and that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, when you hear those things or when people say those, there, there used to be a combative Anthony that would want to combat that conversation. Mm-hmm. But now I'm trying to understand because for you it could be different than for somebody else. Mm-hmm. You may say, I don't see color because you're really trying to say, I believe everybody should be treated equally. Right. Other people really think there's no color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They really think just because we all have red blood that we shouldn't see, think that way. And that's just not the case. So right. it's seeking to understand instead of, instead of blaming Mm-hmm. Playing blame game, gotcha. And like, of course, like I, I've heard that a lot, Jessica. Um, and it, it is for me sometimes. Like, I do understand where they're coming from, but it is like you got to ask that question. Like, what? Right. Do, like, what do you mean? Yeah. But even when you go down to the to the bottom root root of that and talk about DEI, is it DEI or DEIB or like whatever one you want? Whichever DEIB, DEIB, and E, DEI Jet. I heard Jet. I heard uh, access. There's an idea. Okay. Uh, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. I have this one slide that I do, and I I have the Wordle. The what do you call it? Not the Wordle. Yeah, the Wordle thing. You yeah. have all kinds of words or whatever. Yeah, Wordle. And I have all the different ways I've heard diversity, equity, oh, all the acronyms. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know. I don't know Wordle. What the hell? What the heck is Wordle? Oh my gosh, we're off track. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> let me get back on track. Let me get back on track. Sorry. I'll Google that later. It's like the beginning of the podcast. It's yeah. like seven different roads. Yeah. And so, whenever you or somebody's asking you what is DEI, um, of course, a lot of people can think like that just means straight color, right? Right. Yeah. Could you dive in? Like, what do you think DEI is, or what is Absolutely. DEI? Yeah. So. And it, this is, again, one of those things where in, in our space, and it's such a sexy, you know, uh, acronym, you know, that you, you assume everybody knows it, mm-hmm. but everybody doesn't, and everybody defines things differently. So, again, I'm going to give you my opinion, but um, then as a facilitator, as a, if I was coming into your organization as a facilitator, this is your culture. It's not Anthony's culture. So I'll give you some general ideas of how I would define it, but how would you all define it? Mm-hmm. Because you have to decide in your culture how you define it. Right. And then... We're going to build our training and development and 
our conversations around your feelings, not me. It's never about me, mm-hmm. right? But I do set the tone with generally speaking what culture means and what diversity, equity, inclusion. And diversity is the easy part. That's just differences, right? Yeah. I mean, you diversify your portfolios in finance, right? Mm-hmm. Diversity is just purely differences, but it's it's been historically tied to people of color. Equity, people mix equity and equality up, right? They're not the same. I'm sure you two have probably heard that. They're not the same. Uh, Again, I see color. I don't see color. Everybody's treated equal. Equality is not the same if we're not at the same starting point. Yeah. Right. right? And so equity means I'm going to have to give you a little more of a hand in order to make the playing field level. That's mm-hmm. different. That's equity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, inclusion. I like to say in, in, in my way I define it, inclusion. I've invited you to the, to the club, but you don't feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Right. What do I mean by that? It's May. It's Cinco de Mayo. We're going to do Cinco de Mayo Day. We're going to have an event today. It's February. We're going to do some Black History Month events. Got to make sure we invite everybody. Mm-hmm. Got to make sure we invite everybody. Um, we want to make sure that we've got females um, in our, our new design or plan of our building. You know, So we're going to make sure we invite a couple of females. Mm-hmm. right? So you're doing these things with intent. That, that doesn't mean there's malice. You're included, right? But if I don't feel like I'm part of the decision-making or I belong in that room or I'm not engaged, do I really belong? Yeah. Right? So I'm included. Mm. I'm at the club. You let me in. But the music ain't good. Ain't nobody asking me to dance. Nobody's yeah. talking to me. <laughs> what are, and I'll give you an example. Someone told me this that worked at Collins Aerospace. There was a, uh, uh, a friend of mine told me the story. There was a, uh, African, uh, a black guy there from, the, um, I think it was from a South, uh, not Nicaragua, Barbados, but uh, out of the country. And he was an engineer here, and he got promoted to be a senior engineer. Nice. And because of that, he had to start going to these monthly leadership meetings, right? And so he starts coming to these meetings. And as I'm told, he's coming to these meetings. And you know how you small talk before meetings and what you do this weekend and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's having conversations, you know, listening to folks in the room talk about their weekend. And the room was filled with mostly white men. And they're saying, you know, hey, I went fishing, I, you know, I... Went golfing. I went to my cabin for the weekend, and, and here's this engineer, this 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 black guy in the room who's not from this country, is has nothing doesn't understand that social interaction, mm-hmm. and felt completely uncomfortable in his first couple of meetings because he doesn't know how to small talk. He's just there to to do yeah. work, right? And they weren't including him. What did you do this weekend? You know, or maybe they were, but it just didn't because he's the the outlier in the room. There was no sense of trying to make him feel like he belongs, right? Mm-hmm. We can all look at spreadsheets and we can all look at the measurements of the airplane and the schematics and all that. But if I don't feel like, if I'm only called on because it's time, my turn to talk about whatever's on the report, but I don't feel like I belong in here, I feel uncomfortable. So what was happening is every month, I guess, he was going to these meetings and it just didn't get any better. Not only did he end up quitting his job, he left the company mm. and he left Cedar Rapids. Wow. Right. He left Cedar Rapids. Well, I got something to talk about about that. And part of that is this sense of belonging. Yeah. He didn't feel like he belonged here. So he was diverse, equitable. He got a great job. He got promoted, mm-hmm. right? He felt like he's included. He's now getting in these meetings, but he just didn't feel a part of the organization. Mm-hmm. So it was never about the money. Yeah. It was about being belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, man. So for me, so me being from Texas, right, yeah. and me moving to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, first off, I remember the first thing I did, I Googled. And he's one of the best networks I know around here. So hey, I know I you know more you. people than I do. It's yeah. awesome. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks. 
You're awesome at small talk. The I could first, not. I can't. A do little it. bit. I, I I get it from my dad. Yeah. My dad's six five, and he could be the mayor of Waco. But I talk about him enough on the podcast. So I'll. Aww. Shout out to you, to pops. Yeah. Uh, but Shout anyways, out to Anthony's dad. So the first thing I did, I googled uh, African American barbershop. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the first thing I did. Then after that, I googled. African American networking groups, mm-hmm. right? And so the African American barbershop, that was easy to come about. Yeah. But uh, networking groups, more so just because like, I was like, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, they only have 3% African American population. That was the time that I was mm-hmm. moving here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, there's not a lot. Um, there's not a lot shaking and moving around here, yeah. especially people look like me. Um, I don't see any places, you know, bars or uh, right. restaurants where I can go. Like if I was in Texas, I could sit down and listen to some R&B music and, yeah. and vibe out and be around people by myself. Um, but what I do now, cause I'll be in Cedar Rapids for, for a while. Yeah. Um, and so I love seeing people on LinkedIn or just people out in the community, just different networking events that might look like me or, you know, I'm having, I haven't, I haven't seen you before more. So people that look like me. Yeah. Right. And I sit down try to have coffee with them or lunch with them. And I just have a genuine conversation, get to know them a little bit more, tell them about myself, but also understand like, Hey, do you plan on sticking around long? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And what I hear a lot is nah, dog. Um, I got this job opportunity and I came here just, it's just a stepping stone. And I'm like, okay, but, but why, you know? And it's more so of, I can't, I can't really find like a niche of people that I kind of get along with, or I just don't feel comfortable here. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is different. The Midwest is different. Right. I mean, of course you can, you can find your uh, group of people, that you want to, of course, kick it with the way yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But for people that might have came from a big city mm-hmm. and moving here is is totally different. It's a challenge, you know, because mm-hmm. you you gotta, you know, it's a, it's a different culture, and mm-hmm. it's um, it's how, how do you how do you make a way, right? And I think you asked the question earlier, just but you said you know that, you know, we're we're in Iowa, and you know how do you f- find people? That's kind of a challenge you're up against, and and I always mm-hmm. believe, so what? We're here. Mm-hmm. Um, where where are you looking? What rocks are you looking under? Right, right. And, and how do you how do you make sure that the that the underserved populations that are here have this sense of belonging? Mm-hmm. And it's not um, uh, performative work, right? Mm-hmm. And performative work is your typical holiday celebrations and with all good intent. But what's happening in between? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like being a board member, right? You know, I, I try not to join boards, and I fully admit I have where I haven't done anything. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Except say I'm on the board and go to a couple meetings, and um, but I try not to do that because, mm-hmm. um, w- what good is it, right? So it's like saying you got some black folks here, great, very right. But okay, I'm on a board, great. But mm-hmm. if you're not doing any work to make people feel like they belong, they won't stay. Yeah. That, I, I, and, I just and, had this. I had this. And you hear that a lot. Have you had here. the um like? Have you been able to find like a group of people that you like? are i mean friends and i know you said that you had a barber shop but like have you been able to find like a place where you're like okay i feel more accepted i feel more like these i are- mean i wouldn't say a, a place in particular here right I I, say, you don't have to tell me i won't come visit <laughs> don't worry i won't turn I, up <laughs> i would say i would say people um mm-hmm. i was i was blessed enough to move here it did take a while right mm-hmm. i'd say it took about two or three months. Um, but shout out to Dominique Campbell. Um, his mom was actually the first African-American caregiver that applied at, uh, the organization I was with at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And she was like, Hey, Anthony, 
like, do you know anybody out here? You know, and mm-hmm. I was like, not really. And she was like, well, I, I need you. I need you to. Uh, I need to introduce you to my sons. And of course, it was Dom and Aww. Charles. Yeah. Um, and so those are the first two uh, black guys like that were around my age that I personally met. And then mm-hmm. I became a member on the African American Museum board uh, with Lanisha Cassell. And then after that, just started to bounce around yeah. and then mm-hmm. met Anthony Arrington. Um, and so I've been blessed enough to kind of be within that space. Mm-hmm. And I do have a good core of friends here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does take time. And it is different for everybody. Yeah. And I will say, you know, being a native of Cedar Rapids, that that you, Anthony, are, are fortunate. And, and, and I appreciate that you said that because I know Cedar Rapids has not been very good at that historically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've gotten far better, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll just speak for me. I can just speak for, for myself. I've been very proactive about that in the last five to ten years about when, when folks come to town, particularly people of color. Um, and I hear about them, particularly if they're in the business community, or I find them, how do I have lunch with them? Like, I know the, the parks, di- parks director, you know? Yep, Hashem. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Shout out, Hash, what's up? I, yes, sir. I sought him out. I, I waited a couple of months for him to get here and then sought him out. Um, you know, I, I love trying to make sure because there's, uh, in order for us to make this place the way we want it to be, we have to create a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And that takes work on all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. We can sit around and complain or we could do something about it. And mm-hmm. I've decided if I'm going to live here, then I'm going to raise hell. Hey. If I'm going to live here, I'm going I'm to raise hell mm-hmm. um, or I got to go. Right. So it's one, it's one or the other. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you are a big advocate for the community. Um, and that, that was one thing that, uh, that attracted me to you is that you're more so you're definitely unapologetic. And I appreciate that about <laughs> you. Bro. Um, but also, I appreciate you being that advocate for us and not just us as African-Americans, um, but just that underprivileged population that people just yeah. Just forget about, to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then for you two, you, Nick, and then, of course, I know Joy's on the team, for y'all to have top rank. Also, it for it to be here, I know y'all moved to Marion now, right? Yeah, we got yeah, um, it. But, still, here. but yeah. still, to be in this area, I think is something that is, is needed for the community. Um, and I think that the community, of course, needs to, to know more about you all. Yeah. Because um, I, like, I feel like they don't. But they need to just because people out yeah. here need to be seen. People out here need to be heard. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. people are, uh, some people don't understand this, but a lot of this comes from just generations. It, it you is. know what I mean? Absolutely. And then people get left behind. And if people are trying to get within the forefront and they don't have anybody rooting for them or trying to help them right. out, they're just going to stay behind. Yeah. And yeah. so I appreciate everything yeah. that you're doing, brother. Well, we're trying, man. I, you know, you all are doing a great job with this, with this podcast. You too. I, I saw your, your podcast at Entrefest. That was, hey. you guys are, oh, you guys are fun, huh? <laughs> um, but it's, um, you know, uh, Iowa innovation, right? What does that really mean? Right. Are we, we innovating with technology? That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're innovating with tools. That's great. Why don't we innovate with people? Ooh. Yes, definitely. Huh? Can we innovate with the, the, that I mean, people? That needs to be like a tagline right? right there, Ant. <laughs> we innovate people. <laughs> we we might use it on the outro, <laughs> man. Yeah, use that on the outro. Let's <laughs> innovate with people. Um, you know, the immigrant population is so important here. You know, I, 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 I'll leave you with this. I, I walked outside my house last week, and I was on my way to a meeting. I was on my way to Waterloo, in fact, to a conference. I looked up and down my street. I actually posted this. I looked up and down my street, and Iman's in my neighborhood. Shout out to Iman. 
They were in my neighborhood digging, digging cable. I look up and down the street. There's about 30, 40 guys. 100% of them were Latino. Yep, yep. 100%, right? It's 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the morning, and they're out digging holes. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they were illegal or not illegal. I don't care. Didn't matter to me. What I saw was just some hardworking people, right? Mm-hmm. And I sit there and think about that, and I think, and I, and I think about, you know, and I posted. I was like, as I go to work today, I want you all to think about this. And we think about immigration in the state of Iowa and our job. You know, this block the wall and all this stuff. We do. We knew we need to manage immigration. Everybody understands that, but we are trying to lock people out, and in a state like this, where we don't have workers, and and. I'm looking outside and I see a bunch of brown skinned people like me up and down the street working. And I know them same people. When I come home and eat my chicken tonight from Tyson's Foods, somebody that looked like them cut that bird up, mm-hmm. right? And so my point is to folks who really don't, don't see immigration for what it truly is and the value it is to our country, we're all immigrants, first of all, to America. Mm. But when you think about that. that, when you sit down tonight and you have your dinner or when you're out to pick a restaurant, and you're eating your nice, wonderful vegetables, you ain't got no garden. You're gardening. Where are the, where are the vegetables coming from? Nine out of ten of them were probably picked by somebody of color, right? When you're having your nice steak, who cut that cow up, right? Right. These are real things. That, that nice uh, uh, car you got, you know, I don't know who made the mechanical parts, but who was in the, the, the shop? Welding shop making the rubber, making the screws, hmm. standing on an assembly line dreaming because they've seen thousands of screws go by them every day on an assembly line. Would that put your car together? Hmm. My point is we can't survive. And hmm. if immigrants today decide to stop working, we would be screwed. Yeah. That's my soapbox. I'm done. I <laughs> think immigration is what makes this country great. And I think that they, all immigrants have a place, whether it is, you know, uh, very hard workers, but I believe that they deserve a place in every seat of the table in the United States and yeah. every source of work, boards, uh, schools. I do believe that they are one of the hardest people and they are dedicated. And, you know, to come to the United States to, mm-hmm. for a chance to like, you know, a lot of immigrants that I have talked to, they would love to go back to where they are and make their country a great place and they want to live there. That's where their families are. That's what right. all they've known, but they have to come to the United States and yeah. they're working hard and they bring all kinds of new innovative ideas and thoughts yeah. and they deserve a place at the table. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I absolutely as, as a, an immigrant myself, but I mean, I don't really like to call myself an immigrant because right. like I came here when I was eight and I didn't really know what was up, yeah. but you know, it, there are a lot of people who, um, weren't born in this country and have come to the United States are just as deserving as someone who was born here. Yeah, because the other half of my family, they're Hispanic. And actually this, uh, this weekend we went to Chicago and I've never been to this part of Chicago, but it's called little village, little village. Uh, have you ever heard of little village? Not the magazine. Uh, but little village, it actually should be called little Mexico because the whole, there's a whole strip that is straight, like you walked out, like you would think that you're right. in Mexico. And it's somewhat similar to um, uh, Chinatown yep. in that sense. Like they have yep. their whole strip there. And so that was, it was pretty cool for my side of the family. So my, my girlfriend, Cynthia, so she speaks Spanish. Yeah. So she had the opportunity to um, go there, get uh, my stepdaughter Mariah her, her quinceanera dress. Yeah. Um, I saw that. I'll show you, yep, I'll show yeah. you the pictures turned, of her that's dress. That's when they turned 15, right? Yep, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And so just having that. Um, 
that culture because I always tell her I was like baby like I of course dive into my culture right but out here in the Midwest sometimes it can be a little bit hard to uh, uh, to find your culture mm-hmm. and so I don't want her to lose her culture um, and no. even with that in Iowa City they have what is called the diversity market mm-hmm. um, just had a conversation with Andy Jordan and Tasha Lard and um, Marlene yeah. Mendoza out there and those three ladies three ladies of color first of all um, three ladies first right. off you know doing big things um, in that area and I, I can see what they're doing blowing up um, and being implemented in other parts of uh, other parts of Iowa yeah basically yeah. but yeah man but hey Ant I appreciate the talk brother. thank you all for thank having you for me coming yeah appreciate thank it. you thank you for having me it's, it's been fun to sit on the other side of the mic yeah yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're great. Thanks, yeah, bro. Thank you. Thank you all. You're doing good work, and keep it up. Thanks. Thanks so much to our guest, Anthony Arrington, for coming on the show. You can learn more about Top Rank at toprankculture.com. And if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog, to find key takeaways, summarize, and details. This podcast is produced and distributed by Upload Media Group in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, go to uploadmediagroup.com. Finally... We would love it if you could consider a donation to NuboCo. I don't think you understand what this donation is going towards. So you know what? Let me get on my soapbox. So the donation is going towards not only a cool place called NuboCo, the NuboHeman Innovation Collaborative, long, but it also it also going towards cool kids kids in STEM and also underprivileged entrepreneurs and also people within the space of inclusivity. What? I said that wrong. Inclusivity. They didn't teach you how to spell on that soapbox? <laughs> they, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. But it is going towards some amazing things um, that is important, not just to, uh, to Cedar Rapids, but also is important to the world. And we were trying to push that initiative out. And so with that donation... It is going towards some awesome things. And so to learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. Nice. Thanks. <laughs>